amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hi, I'm Jason, with Jason Pollock. I am not Jason. Join Jason and Justin back in the green room as they talk with some of their favorite folks from the entertainment industry. And now, the man you haven't been waiting for, Jason Pollock! Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. There's no applause, Justin. I told you to have an applause track. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry. It's all right. Hi. Welcome. Hi. I'm Jason. And why is it called Hi, I'm Jason? Because nobody knows me. And you'll see the show and you'll say, "Who? Hi, I'm Jason. Who's Jason? It's me. Now you know. That's the name of the show. Why should I listen to this guy's opinion? You don't need to. But either way, look, I'm going to introduce my right-hand Left hand next to me, um, my my musical accompaniment, my band leader, my producer, my world, my my ear cleaner, Justin Gonzalez. Okay, I don't oh, know your keyboard's really through. messed up. I I told you, I I don't know what's going on with that. I've got a I've got a, because here's the thing, either it's a little soft, although it's, it seems okay right now. Uh, either it gets really, really soft or it gets so deafeningly loud that um, people don't even want to hear me play the piano badly, which I do already without them even asking. Justin, you're a magician with the piano. You're wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad you've been drinking. Thank you. <laughs> um. That's what tea does to me. It makes me really sensitive. And <laughs> well, listen, you know what? Yeah. Yes. I wanted to introduce our guest real quick. But why are you going to do that? Because I haven't done the commercials yet. <laughs> okay. This is why we can't do, have nice well, things, I introduce her, I meant tell you who she is. 
Well, you can do that afterwards because we want to entice the people on Facebook that they should be coming uh, over to Twitch. Because remember, we're not going to be sp spending all of our time on Facebook. Uh, we, we, of course, are going to be doing our live show like we normally do. We'll give them a taste. But if they really want the, the meat and potatoes of our show, they have to come on over to twitch.tv slash H-I-J podcast. That way you get to not just enjoy our full interviews, our full experience. You get to actually inter uh, interact with our guest. You also is it this get... or drinks, jokes, and storytelling? Well, this is how you can find out about our page. Now, our page, if we are streaming from drinks, jokes, and storytelling, uh, it still streams to our page. So, of course, we want you to follow our page because not when you follow our page, you also get all of our other shows like uh, the Hi, I'm Jason shorts that we do on Saturday mornings. Or if there's an evening where neither of us can sleep and we decide that we just want to talk into the darkness, uh, you and I will get on like at midnight and just uh, talk about the things that we love and, you know, do beat poems using Cards Against Humanity, all of that sort of stuff you know like the kids do so um that's what uh uh so that's why i say definitely follow on hij podcast and we will get to drinks jokes and storytelling in just a minute but i want to make sure that we plug all of our stuff first so of course you know we want you to be on twitch.tv with us we also would really really love if you would still Follow and subscribe to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Jason and Justin. That is where we disseminate all of our information. So if you're just following us on Twitch, you had no idea, you have no idea who we are speaking to today. And um, that is your fault. Because if you've been following us long enough, you should know. Follow us on Facebook, damn it. So please follow us on Facebook. Because again, you get all these behind-the-scenes stuff. And you get told what is happening, what's coming down the pike when you follow that page. Uh, we would also love if you would follow our YouTube channel. That's where we put out our finished products. YouTube.com slash user slash super jpo711. And if you enjoy what it is that we're doing here, we're gonna please. We're going to change that name. Uh, oh, wait, yeah. this Venmo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yes, of continue, course. Continue, continue. <laughs> if you enjoy what we're doing here, please consider visiting our digital tip jar. You can do that by going to Venmo and just searching at symbol Jason dash Pollock dash two. Uh, and that way... You know, and again, anything that you contribute to our digital tip jar goes to one of two things. One, it goes to uh, raising the quality of our podcast, you know, a ring light here, a new microphone there. Um, also, it makes sure that Jason's Wi-Fi stays on. He had trouble with that on Monday, in fact. So, again, you know, please send a contribution. <laughs> we need your money. We need Anyway, uh, so and there's one more thing, of course, that I want to share with all of you, and that is a huge thank you to uh, our channel. Uh, our, our parent channel that we are streaming on today, and that is Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling. Uh, enjoy this full lineup of, uh, of content that we have Sunday through Friday. Sunday is the Beacon of Insignificance. Monday is Smokes, Jokes, and Storytelling. Tuesday, we have Comedy Therapy. We have a double dose of fun on Wednesday. Earlier in the day, we have uh, the channel's namesake, Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling with Mark Riccadonna and Richie Byrne. And then, of course, on Wednesdays, you have Hi, I'm Jason with Jason Pollock. I 
I'm not Jason. And then on Thursdays, you have another double dose. We have Behind the Bits, and then right after that, we have Dystopia Tonight with John Poveromo. Then we round out the week with Main Street, and uh, we also have added a new show called Comedian Roundtable, or Comedian's Roundtable, uh, which is just what it is, what it says. It's uh, uh, comedians in the industry getting together and talking about their experience, their journey, and what they have coming up next. So uh, again, follow drinks, jokes, and storytelling. There is something for everyone. And I believe, Jason, that is You're all done? I... Oh, well, no. I also want to say real quick, hello to Nanny Tessie. Hello, hello. Thank you for tuning in. And Sean. Uh, Hi, thank Sean. you so much for tuning in. Sean, we're going to be going over to Twitch in just a few minutes. So please, please, please make sure you pop on over to the Twitch side of things because uh, otherwise you'll just be staring at a blank screen and crying that you cannot see us any longer. And um, if you cry onto your device, I believe uh, that uh, will not be covered under your warranty. So we don't want that. Okay, I'm clapping in the living room. Uh, by the way, Nanny Tessie, that is my wife. And we literally have a wall just separating us. So it's really great when she hears a really funny joke because I can hear her cackle through the wall. And so I know that we've done good. Okay. <laughs> and I believe that is... Uh, Hello, hey, John. John. Thank you so much John for is a very in. talented actor I've done, some, I've done a play or two with. Oh, my God. Well, thank you, John, for tuning in. Maybe we'll have you on the show and talk about some of uh, some of your experiences. Should come on Saturday sometime. Um, and Jason, that is all I got. You sure you're not going to interrupt me anymore if I try to talk about our guest who, who I'm came so, on? I, I I peeked up in the corner and I was just reminded that it's called Hi, I'm Jason. I, I'm sorry, that's my fault. <laughs> um. That's okay. I keep saying to change the name to Hi, it's Jason and Justin, and you don't want anything to do with it. I don't because so. I love I love this. I love being your co-host that actually runs everything. No, go ahead, Jason. <laughs> Great. As a um. As a couch potato, I'm actually a very big fan of our guest novels, novels, uh, books. Um, she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's written a book about the history of Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore show, Seinfeld, Sex in the City. Um, so the natural next step in her progression would be a book called When Women Invented Television about the history of television, which I started reading. And honestly... It's about these four women who you can't write, I, who I didn't know were influential in the television growth. And now that I've read this book, I don't see how you could do a story about the history of television without talking about these women. And here to discuss that, sacrificing her time to be with us, is Jennifer Keishan Armstrong herself. My goodness. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm, I'm afraid to ask any questions because I feel like we're about to get interrupted by Justin again to do another advertisement. <laughs> well, but. no, actually, I, I do want to do a quick advertisement uh, <laughs> right, right out the gate, though, uh, because we are about to say goodbye to the folks on Facebook. And so that advertisement is going to be for Jennifer's newest book, and that is When Women Invented Television. It is coming out on March 23rd, wherever you buy books. Uh, and you can actually uh, reserve a copy right now. Is that correct, Jennifer? Absolutely. You can pre-order at any time. Awesome. And uh, they can, can, uh, can people do that at your website? 
they can they can get there from my website so they can get all they need there fantastic and uh of course if you want to do that jennifer's website is below jennifer arm uh, and also uh as i'm sure you will fall in love with her just as jason and i have so be sure to follow her on twitter as we well. like her. we don't like like her we like her we it's not like a weird thing jason <laughs> jason so. speak for yourself <laughs> jesus christ i made it weird all right uh, <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, my friends on Facebook, I would like to say adios. Please make sure that you're popping over to Twitch so that way you get to enjoy this amazing conversation. What's about, the link, Justin? Uh, Twitch.tv slash HIJ podcast. And uh, again, we will see you there momentarily so that we can continue, actually start this conversation on When Women Invented Television. Thank you so much. We'll see you in a second. Bye, Facebook, Hangout, Twitch. Incidentally, don't litters in Arlo Guthrie, Alice's restaurant reference. <laughs> okay, just oh, we, we've stuck with it since Thanksgiving. <laughs> all right jennifer mm -hmm. um i gotta tell you these these women you wrote about um i'm just i i didn't two of them i've never heard of and two of them i have but didn't know the impact they had so yeah like i was saying i don't know now that i know i don't know how you could write a book about the when, history of television in general let alone about women in television without acknowledging these four people. So thank you for opening my eyes to that. Absolutely. I mean, I would, that was something, it was a huge impetus for actually writing the book. I was really surprised by, in my research, you know, I, I got a few, I will not name them, but I got a few books that were supposed to be definitive histories of early television. And, you know, they left most of these women out or all of these women out most of the time. And it, it's shocking to me because you've got someone like Gertrude Berg, who, you know, invented the family sitcom as we know it. And she's not there. And she was incredibly famous at the time. I mean, she had a line of house dresses, one of my favorite facts. Um, she had a cookbook, you know, she had kind of an Oprah thing happening. She was super, super famous. Um, I mean, she had her whole brand thing going on. She really she had a brand on social media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, she had a column about, um, like where she'd give advice about motherhood because she played a mother on television and on radio. I mean, she was voted the second most trusted woman in America besides the first lady, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, it's a big deal. Yeah. She's wow. a really big deal and has largely been written out of these early histories. I think that something that happened was that people really focused on Lucille Ball, which you know, she was a genius and also made a number of incredible business decisions that made her into the icon that she is. She's great. That was my knowledge of women in television right. in the beginning. Right. So people think that it was like, I don't know, a blank screen. And then like Lucy showed up and then TV happened. Like there's, there's a bunch of stuff that happens before that, that sort of does lay the groundwork that just no, not to take away from what she did. There's, she's incredible, but there were a number of women doing things behind the scenes and in front of the camera on television 
before that, largely because as I talk about in the book, you know, it wasn't a profitable medium yet. It people were still trying to figure it out. Radio was where the gold was. And so men largely stayed there. That's where the power was then. And women saw this opportunity to kind of forge their way in this new medium and help to really shape it, which they did. But then they got knocked out by the mid fifties when it really becomes a huge business. Did you want, did you want to start by reading an excerpt from the book? Absolutely. And it's a good transition because um, this is just the very first page and it is about Gertrude Berg. So we Perfect. talk a little bit more about her. In the fall of 1948, 49, a 49-year-old woman, the absolute prototype of a Jewish mother, marched into the Madison Avenue office of the famous and debonair William S. Paley, the man in charge of CBS, and made a brazen demand. She wanted to write, produce, and star in her own television show. Gertrude Berg believed that she, of all people, deserved a spot on television and she insisted that one of the most powerful men in media give it to her. This ultimatum alone would speak to her chutzpah in any TV era, including our own. But she issued it in 1948, not a time we associate with women's liberation. Five feet five and 150 pounds, the mother of two grown children, Berg proposed an idea that seems radical even today, that she should star in a TV sitcom as a mother of two young teenagers. Of course, she did come with a track record. For the previous two decades, during radio's golden age, she'd written and starred in a radio comedy called The Goldbergs. Radio had been the default dominant mode of national entertainment. Families had gathered around their living room radios daily to hear the latest installments of their favorite dramas and comedies, as well as news and music. She had reigned supreme in this era. She looked like the prototype of the Jewish mother because she had created it. In fact, she had already lived an entire situation comedy lifetime. On her show, The Goldbergs, she had played radio's favorite meddling mother, Molly Goldberg, who had raised her children to adulthood over its 17-year course. Now she insisted on starting all over again as television's favorite mother. And she wasn't the only woman made such bold claims to the new frontier of television, a discovery I was surprised to stumble upon in the early annals of comedians' history. And this is, uh, of course, I heard of the Goldbergs, so I, I, I always, the ignorance in me kind of always thought that the Goldbergs now was a remake of the old one, but it has nothing to do with it at all. No, it yeah. really doesn't. And I think that actually speaks to how lost the original Goldbergs has become, right? The fact that mm. a bunch of people in current television made a whole show and had no idea that there had been this previous one or did not worry at all that people would be confused. You would never start a show now and name it I Love Lucy, but have it be about, I don't know, a teenager named Lucy in the suburbs of Cleveland who has nothing to do with Lucille Ball, right? Right, exactly. You know, and that just speaks to how forgotten this has been. Uh, you, it kind of has it has that same feel as the honeymooners. I, I kind of my wife was showing me we were watching some episodes of the Goldbergs on YouTube, mm -hmm. and it's it's got that same grainy black and white feel. You know what I mean? And yeah. Good good for her for doing that. I um. Oh wait, we have a comment from Big Gay Nick. Big Gay Nick, you 
I think this lady was on the book show with Joe Donahue, if not on the. That's great. <laughs> was that... I'm famous. <laughs> you are famous. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she, I was reading, so, uh, she had every right to, uh, when she walked into the office in your book, I, I thought, all right, good for her because she had all that power from the radio show. So why not? You know, television is becoming big. I could see any, she was kind of a modern woman in her, in that time. Like she's a woman of 2020. Exactly. I mean, that was actually a huge part of, in general, you know, all four of the women that are featured prominently in this book. I really see it that way. And I think sometimes what happens is we think an era, when we look back on an era like the 40s or 50s, we have a very like narrow idea of what people were like. All women were housewives. You know, all men went to work. This is how it was. And instead, there's all these different experiences. I mean, Gertrude is incredible because not only is she un unbelievably powerful and, um, you know, decisive businesswoman, but she's got two kids who she raised through, you know, throughout this powerful career she had in radio and really had some help from her husband. Um, her husband would type her scripts for her as one example. He also helped kind of run her business with her and um, probably pitched in and helped with the kids. It's unclear, but um, they didn't run around bragging about that kind of thing. That now you drag around, brag about your feminist husband. Then it was like, oh, the kids are just being taken care of. Um, so she's incredible. And one of my favorite things about her, as I mentioned, she had a cookbook. She had a cookbook that she put out, the Molly Goldberg cookbook. This woman did not cook. That's Erna. That's wrong her. picture. My apologies. Yes. So that's a great, I love this picture because she was always shown on so her. She face. wasn't really that kind of Jewish mother in real life at all. Right. That's what's hilarious. Is so they, they would always, I mean, if you watch the Goldbergs, it's incredible how much she is always like, and it's not big, right? She's just always kind of stirring something or walking around with a chicken or that kind of thing. But she, this woman did not cook in real life. She had a cook named Louise who would cook, do all the <laughs> Good for her. Um, you know, so she, and she had a co-writer on her cookbook who actually did the actual, the real recipes. And, you know, she knew enough to kind of, in interviews, she would just kind of pass off those. I've seen interviews where they'd ask her like, what's your favorite thing to make? She'd be like, the important thing is that food is eaten, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> It's a very political answer. Right. Yeah. It just kind of like protect. She really kept up this veneer. But in real life, she, you know, her character on the show had a Yiddish accent, wore these kind of, you know, aprons and frumpy clothes, fussed with, with food. In real life, she spoke with a mid-Atlantic accent. She wore fine furs and beautiful hats and gloves. She loved beautiful clothing. And she did not cook. So she was keeping up appearances for her character because that's people wanted her to be the Jewish mother. Um, and the same is true of the other women that I featured as well, like um, Betty White, who we do know, like we I all still know who she is. The other thing, I didn't know Betty White had a show like that. I mean, people, this is the thing is that it's, her career has been so long at this point, it's easy to forget whole, you know, for the world to have forgotten whole parts of it, but she was super early, you know. Um, she is right away on this talk show, this daytime talk show in Los Angeles, where they don't know what to do with, they literally don't know what to do during the day on television at this point. And so they're like, 
they put her and this guy Al Jarvis on for five and a half hours a day, six days a week, and they have to improvise. And so if you're wondering why she's such a quick wit up to 99 years old, it's because she had a real lot of practice. She was forced into it. She was, she just, I mean, and they really, they, they'd go in with like a few loose ideas. They'd come up with sketches or something while they were doing hair and makeup because they did their own hair and makeup at that time. And actually Betty did Al's makeup and hair and she did her own. And then they'd go out and just kind of like wing it. And it was, you know, this is just how she learned. And she was a very, you know, there were a lot of modern aspects to her life as well. She was divorced twice by the time she was, you know, having this big TV moment and in her late 20s, moved back in with her parents, was perfectly happy to, because at least now she did not have to deal with making dinner and cleaning the house, too. And her husband, she really used to try to, like, do her show and then run home and cook dinner for her husband in time. And he did not want a career woman as his wife, and she chose her career. And for her. Went on, well, that's you know, why she, I want to get into entertainment so I don't have to cook. Anymore. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> um, yeah, she would do interviews where they would constantly harangue her, Why aren't you married? And she'd kind of just say, like, Oh, I'm really busy right now. But it was really true. She really wanted to focus on her career. So it's, it's another one where you think these women are one way, but they have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of modern, what we would consider modern aspects to her, to their lives and careers. Can you show that picture of Betty again? Absolutely. Yeah, Betty. Yeah. Look she, how pretty she was. She's she, so she pretty. still is. She still got it. She is 99. just. Oh my gosh! I really recommend looking up old clips from this time of what was called. It's hard to some. It's it's hard a little bit because she had like three different things over her lifetime that were called the Betty White Show. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are clips online of this talk show she did that was a national talk show on NBC called the Betty White Show where this it was after that one that I was just talking about she was now only on for one hour a day so she thought it was very easy and if you see some of these early clips of her it's phenomenal she sings the opening song of her own show and she has this ability to look right into the camera and she says she said in interviews at the time that um, she looked into the camera like it was a lover and you can really see it. Like, this is why she's, she connects. You do feel like she's staring right at you. And I think that's a harder thing to do than people realize. And she sings this sort of cheesy song, but it's great. Um, and she's just so, you, you get it right away. You see that Betty White is completely star quality from day one. She's so recognizable and she's so filthy, that woman. <laughs> I've seen her on the roast. I've seen her in Lake Placid. Yes. Yes, she was not then. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. She, was, she kept it very, very, she was squeaking. Uh, that's what I was reading, yes. Yeah, she, had a, she was known, as one of my favorite things too, she was known for her high necklines. Which I actually like, even as a woman, had to like think for a minute when I first read that. Like, what are they talking? Oh, I see. She wouldn't wear like super low cut stuff because she had these like really cute flirty dresses, but very high necklines to keep it, you know, keep it kosher, classy. Keep, it, keep it classy, and really had she was she had this extremely wholesome image at that time. Which actually, just fun fact, if people are Mary Tyler Moore Show fans, when she went to be on the Mary Tyler Moore show 20 years later to play Sue Ann Nivens, the happy homemaker. That is a literal parody of her persona from the fifties is that they were like, it'd be funny if she's like that in front of the camera and the minute they turn, it turns off, she's just a stoneful <laughs> bitch. Um, and that, that was the idea for that. For, and it's why she's so good at that particular character. That is so interesting. I, 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 hold on. I'm going to mute it because I have a cough coming. <laughs> J- Jason is infamous Sorry. for his very loud coughs <laughs> in the middle of a interview. No, it's just, this, I'm list, this time of year, it's not COVID. I just get a cough every year in March. The season's changing. But anyway, back to Betty. Yes. Yes. No, I, she, I never looked at her as someone with sex appeal. Like exuding sexuality, but she was beautiful. I she, mean, she was, was just she really was. She well, really, really was. And it's it's one of the things that um, I talk about in the book, and that was pretty shocking. I mean, it's not in a way, but you know, kind of always gets you. Is when I was reading some of the reviews of her show, um, especially the national one, that when people were really paying attention and like national press was happening, um, some of them are just the men are just brutal. Like the stuff, the sexist stuff that she put up with is just, there's one in particular that I quote um, where they just, they, he, this guy talks about her hair. He talks about how disappointed he is in her high necklines because she's not showing off all the goods. And yet he also implies that she's overweight. Um, it's just, it's, it's crazy. That, I mean, and of course it's not a surprise but it's still, I don't know, it's something about too, you know, now looking back at it from 2021 and we're like, you do not talk about Betty White that way, sir. <laughs> what are we doing? It's so what, true. Where you are went, you now? What are you doing now, sir? My, I mean, probably you, not you, with us anymore. I was but. Like, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about, you know, the log cabin that Abraham Lincoln right. was born in that way. Exactly. She's an American treasure, damn yes. it. Yes, it's really, it's mm. wild to read. I mean, some of the stuff is fun too because, I mean, this is just inherent in any kind of history where, like, you look back and some of them are like, this sucks. This lady's never going to make it. And others are, like, really one to watch. Like, there were a lot of those, too. Like, the hot new thing in 1954 is Betty White. You should really keep an eye on this one, guys. Um, it's, such a, <laughs> it's such a trip to see. I'm glad that at least some people recognized her talent right away. Oh, me too. I'm so glad. My intro to her was the Golden Girls. She was my favorite right. bit on there. Which, oh. which which, which, again, I was going to comment, Jason, on that when you were saying that you didn't uh, recognize her as someone with sex appeal. And that's part of the reason why, because we so many of us were introduced to her uh, in our age group as this character on the Golden Girls. And right. 
And that's that's the youngest she ever was for all of us, you know? <laughs> so. Right, that's really true. And of course, the Golden Girls, the concept is supposed to be, even though I was disturbed to recently, I started rewatching it a little because of Betty, mm-hmm. and I was disturbed that in the early seasons, they seem to be saying these women may be in their 50s. Yeah, like, I did hear that. Because like when I was a kid watching, I was like, These, this is the show about old ladies. And then they were like, they're not even retired yet. And I was kind of like, oh, I'm getting a little uncomfortably close to this age range now. This is a little bit I weird. Know. Me too. I don't, I, I, mean, I don't mean I know about you. I don't know how old you are. I'm not even going to guess. But I know the rules. But still, I'm almost there too. Right. It's, it's a little disturbing and that, but that, that was me too. And, and for me, the journey back through Betty's history really, it's like I started at, you know, Golden Girls as well. And then it was when I wrote the book about the Mary Tyler Moore show that they started telling me this, you know, this idea that Sue Ann Nibbins was really, you know, they, it was supposed to be a Betty White type. And I said, what would that be in the seventies? Like, what did you think that was? And they were like, oh, like sickly sweet. And I was like, okay, why? Like I had no idea. And then they explained that she used to do these talk shows in Los Angeles and that she wore the high necklines and the cute, if you even see the Sue Ann Nivens wardrobe, it's mimicking those high necklines and flouncy skirts that she used to wear in Uh her Los Angeles days and in her talk show days. And I was just fascinated by that. And of course she kind of then went on to do a number of, she was always like a game show um, guest through the sixties until her kind of revival on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then her revival on golden girls and then her revival in the 2010s. Everything she does is a new Betty white revival. She's like Oklahoma. They keep bringing it back, you know, and I love it. And yeah, I love it. In Oklahoma. Incredible. Like what, an, un, like it's really, it's staggering to think that so, she was on television in the late, in the forties and is still, yes. tele, yeah. you know, like that's still crazy. like doing it's new crazy. stuff. I'm 40, not even I'm, syndicate, you know, no, new she just stuff. She got a Christmas movie for one of those lifetime Hallmark something. Oh yeah, um, she did. Yeah, it's I don't really, remember which one, but wild and actually like a fun fact too that some people know but is also in the book and i kind of blow it out a little bit is that when she was in high school when she graduated from high school she was on one of the first broadcasts ever i mean it was a broadcast from one floor of a building to a different floor of a building but it was an Mm. early tv test and someone spotted her you know she went to she grew up in la and an executive spotted her at high school graduation singing and asked her if she wanted to come be on a, on this experimental broadcast. So she and a classmate went to the top of, it was like a car dealership building in downtown Los Angeles. I visited it, it's still there. Um, she went to, it's now lofts instead of a car dealership, but she went to the top floor with this classmate and they sang and danced. They did numbers from the Merry Widow and in front of a camera and their parents and a bunch of business people were on the bottom floor and it got broadcast all the way downstairs and it was like yay we broadcast um that's so wild yeah it was an early there's this guy who was like an early investor in television technology and they were testing it out so this was you know the 30s that she so she is literally one of the first people on television and and then ends up she didn't know that was going to be her career she had first wanted to be a singer and then she um was really trying hard for like movies and they told her they actually told her she wasn't like pretty and sexy enough 
Um, and so she ended up kind of in radio for a little while and that's where she sort of got some experience before she ended up, it, I really think she was born for TV. She had such instincts yeah. and um, such a, that appeal. They, people talk about this with TV stardom that they have to be a specific kind of person who you want to keep inviting into your living room, which is different from a movie star. And I think she has that. She absolutely does. Just, just the fact that everything she does, it's like, Oh, Betty White's in something else. She will live forever. Some, we need a vampire to bite her. So she keeps going on. Yes. Pray for Betty all the time. And to answer Nick's question, I'm 49 years old and my introduction to Betty was still the golden girls. I saw Mary Tyler Moore after when I was. That's fair. Yeah, and, okay. and Nick actually had a couple other things that he said, of course. You know, she is a hoot in her early work. And, you know, again, you had just brought up about her, her work on the game shows. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Bold and Beautiful. That's Which right. brings us to our next Do you want person. to talk about Erna? Let's and talk about Erna. I was going to say, well, okay, yeah, let's do it. So Erna Phillips uh, was the... Erna, right? Not Irma. Erna. Erna. N. Um... Erna Phillips was the mastermind behind the soap opera. She, I mean, there's, you know, as, as with most things, there were a couple contributors here, but she has a large part in really inventing this, this daytime soap opera for first radio. Um, she was asked to make a show that appealed to women so that they could sell products to women. That's always how it works. And, um, she came up with the idea of, family dramas essentially and um has a whole bunch of she has a whole lifetime basically just in in the radio business first but one of my favorite facts about her is that in the height of her radio days which is the 40s she's making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in 1940 that's not that's not converted to now um Mm. that was she had an empire she had like five shows on at once she was the the rhymes of radio she did guiding light right yeah, and she did eventually make Guiding Light, which makes the jump eventually after a few false starts. She she brings that to television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she so she is responsible for a number of tropes that started actually in the radio versions. And it's remarkable to me that they continue all the way through to this day to some extent, or at least we recognize them as that. So um, she, you know, cliffhangers, believe it or not, were not as huge a thing now it seems obvious that if you want people to keep listening or watching to your listening to or watching your show you should have cliffhangers but she would do these cliffhangers and her two big things is that she loved a dramatic pause and she is the reason that organ music cues are seen as a trope of like the dramatic moment on a soap opera and i think this is so funny because if you go watch like You've seen if you've seen the Californian sketch on Saturday Night Live, they're using these things to make fun of soap <laughs> operas. To this, especially that they do the like a bunch of dramatic pauses and looks at each other. It never um, occurs to me that it had to start somewhere, but it, 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 it has to start somewhere. Yes. Like it didn't come out of. There's no reason that organ cues should automatically mean drama. It's just because of Erna. And one of my favorite things in her notes, you know, at least I did lots of archival research and in her notes, it says, you know, on other writers' scripts, it'll say things like, make better use of dramatic pauses. <laughs> I have told you this before. Like, <laughs> it's really, and the other thing about dramatic pauses is that um, it stretches things out a little more. And it was really hard to 
this was daily, so it was really hard for actors to keep memorizing so much dialogue. So then you'd ha you could have a little less dialogue if you had more dramatic pauses. <laughs> also, it gives them a moment to be able to look off to the side dramatically to read the card. You're, to read the card. That was a big thing in the, in the book. This happens is that yeah. um, there is one of the earliest bad reviews of one of her soap operas says something about like, it's too bad all the actors look like they're scanning the horizon for threats or something like that. So they're like, I'll look out um, because they're just looking. They had written, they would write their um, their lines on chalkboards just off screen. And so they were all, they weren't, you have to remember if you came from radio, this is such a weird fact too. I don't know. I love this stuff. If you came oh, from awesome. radio, you weren't used to having to be on screen which yeah. meant you, they used to, there's all these photos of them in front of the camera or in front of the microphone for radio with their, their script right there. Right. Right? And they're on book and they're all on matter. book. Like it's <laughs> fine. And then they suddenly have to transition. Like a, a big thing was trying to just bring like guiding light, for instance, she brought directly from radio to television. You can't just switch out all the actors. So they had to come as they were and just tr make that transition. And, you know, they weren't all ready for it all the time, but they got better as they went. It was it was a scrappy operation, but uh, so that is that is Erna Phillips. That's so cool. Real quick, that I just so want to say hello to uh, Bucket List. Thank you so much for popping in, man. Thank you so much for, sh for sharing all the lovely emotes. That's uh, Jason's anxiety head down there uh, <laughs> for HIJ Podcast. That's Freddie Mercury uh, for Justin Gonzalez tenor. So if you become a subscriber at uh, level one, that is the emote that you get. And I believe that is uh, Mitch Hedberg hugging a koala. And that is the emote for <laughs> drinks, jokes, and storytelling. So again, if you subscribe at that level one tier, those are the emotes that you get for each of those. Justin Gonzalez tenor, HIJ podcast and drinks, jokes, and storytelling. And uh, if uh, you he always don't... sounds like he's going to give away a tote bag in a second. If you're going to <laughs> I keep Jason. How many times do how many times do I have to tell you, Jason? I'm giving away the lapel pin and the tote. Hey Justin, do you have access to the organ sound? Or is that a keyboard I, or? I, I I don't you know because the or organ that I have on this is like a real like full fledged pipe organ. So. Oh yeah, that's that is a little. So that's that's a little too grand. They actually would use they would use like a parlor organ. Right, that was right. that was right when like the electric organ was really just becoming hip and you could buy it for your home where you had a, you know an octave of pedals for your feet so you could actually right. play stuff. And again, that was really neat. It became this really neat thing that you had that wasn't a piano that gave you that, um, that ability to orchestrate music right in your home that you didn't have before. I mean, if you had a piano, it was just that piano sound. Um, but here you had so many different you know flavors and all that. But what was so neat about it, uh, what I love about the organ cue, is because they used something specific on the organ called tremolo, mm, which gave it that effect to the sound. And it, it made the tension of the moment even higher because the instrument that was giving us that cue was quivering as well. So it's so neat. That. That's it's so really cool. Yeah, I think it's just so cool that how they use this kind of new technology, because again, we're talking about synthesized music at this point mm -hmm. also, which is brand new and you know, music technology is such a brand new thing. And they're using this um, 
uh, as, as a musical instrument, but also for what we often use or orchestrated music as, and that is as an emotion cue for uh, for what we're doing. It's used in musical theater, it's used in opera that way, not as something that's there to support a singer or something, or a situation, but to really be a character unto itself. And I loved that about the organ cue, is that it's traditionally, it's quivering as well. So that is kind of giving you that feeling of like, ooh, there's something suspenseful, so much so that even my cue is quivering. So, uh, so I love cool. that. That's really yeah. cool. I hadn't thought about it that way. And also even probably it was easier. It was like at that time you could actually have that in the studio, right? In the TV or radio studio that one guy's playing the organ at the right times. And I think that's why it stuck is because of that feeling. Like it worked, even if you think it's mm -hmm. cheesy, like it, you're like you're saying, it worked out. It does feel right to us on some level. Oh yeah. And and of course cheesy. Uh, who doesn't love cheese? It's delicious. Absolutely. It's <laughs> just Justin, can you can you do something dramatic when I say when I introduce her next topic? Like on on the uh, on, on the on keyboard the, on the keyboard. I, I don't have the so, right sounds, Jason. We'll it's fake not... it, fake it, fake it till you make it. Will <laughs> Will Jennifer Keishon Armstrong talk about Hazel Scott? Stay tuned. That's all I've got. I, I couldn't even do a good. I couldn't even do a good glissando. We tried. And it should be a diminished chord, actually. That's always oh, the. Oh right. It's a. It's a. Usually, mm -hmm. it's a diminished seven. And uh, on my ukulele, I can do them a lot better. I don't know if the the uh, mic will pick it up. Hey, but, Margarita. But uh. Yeah. That you kind play, of uh, you play guitar, don't you? I do. That's why I know what a diminished seven is. My guitar teacher would be so excited. Um, <laughs> he loves a diminished seven, and I do too because they're it's moody. Like it's oh yeah, you know yeah. That makes mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that, but I love this. We could do a whole separate podcast where we like analyze the music cues on. Actually, that's a really good podcast idea: analyzing the music cues on television shows. Oh, I love it. I would I love, love that absolutely. That, I, I actually I took a course when I was in college for about 17 minutes uh, on uh, Wagner and the Ring Cycle because mm. the first off the Ring Cycle is a demonic thing that he wrote <laughs> for those of you that don't know at home um, it's in it's four it's four operas essentially it follows a similar story to um, almost Lord of the Rings they use a lot of that Norse mythology um, so there's a lot of that kind of Tolkien-esque feel to it. He wrote the music in retrograde when he, while he wrote the story from beginning to end. That's something that a lot of people don't know. Also, when you uh, when you analyze the music, he was one of the uh, just masterminds and practitioner of something called the leitmotif, which is where each character and each emotion that is had throughout this whole series, uh, they had their own uh, musical cue. And so like, even like before, like Brunhilde, you know, the whole kill the wabbit, you know, da, 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 you know, ride of the Valkyrie, that is actually the foreshadow of that is in the background of the previous opera. And it's like, again, there's all of these beautiful photos, but again, a mastermind of the light motif. And that's used today, even as we move forward, you know, uh, if we, when we think of people like Korngold, who's one of the first uh, writers of music for film. Um, just it's so so exciting and so um, if you haven't figured this out yet Jennifer you have totally piqued my interest <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very excited about this uh, because I love film music um, yeah it's I was really gonna, interesting 
I always said if I wasn't an opera singer that I would be a, a pops orchestra con conductor. That's just because that music is just, again, it, 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 in itself it tells such a story. And uh, I think especially in an early film, um, be it television or, or even movies, it was so important as, uh, as a way to kind of, again, propel forward this whole new medium and how we were supposed to feel. Um, especially because we weren't interacting with a live actor, we were interacting with a screen and a projection. So, right. so cool. Right, and they would have, like they did have people, because a lot of this stuff was live, we didn't really talk about that, but like the Goldbergs, for instance, was live for most of its run, which is crazy too, right? And so like, <laughs> and they did have, they just had a, a guy on set who would play the piano, including the intro, including the theme song. Like that was just played live while they got ready to broadcast, and then like so wild. I love that Gertrude would be back there, and if she had a costume change, she'd like layer two or three dresses and run back, you know, <laughs> during the scene, take off one dress. She's got a new one out. It's a different day. It's more um, theatrical than the way they do it now. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. It was it's it was very exciting. That's for sure. Um, I guess we should talk about Hazel, and this is good. Let's go for Hazel Scott, which is actually one of the people that I knew about beforehand. Because okay. um, you're a music guy. Absolutely. And yeah. there's and there's some great um, moments of Hazel that are, you know, you can go on YouTube and really yes. see. And that's I Betty. Jeez, look, I have these. I have these all labeled. There she is. And again, you know, that she would do this, uh, this routine where she would play two acoustic pianos live on stage. I mean, just amazing. Yeah, she was really incredible. And that's one where it is shocking to me. You know who she is, but a lot of people don't. And I think she should be as famous as like a Nat King Louis Cole, Armstrong, her Louis friend. Armstrong. Yeah, she knew all these people and um, she just isn't. And I oh, I do think, you know, I she's in my book because she was this huge jazz star at the time. Um, and I always say, just cause it's easier for people to understand and if you put things in modern terms, I always say she's, she was like the Beyonce of her time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's touring the country and the world, making lots of money. She's beautiful and glamorous. She is married to Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who is this this huge figure in civil rights and is a um, congressman from Harlem. You know, there's a street name for him up there now. Like he was a big deal. They were very glamorous too, which is important. You know, there were these big cover stories of them on magazines. Like, you know, he wrote a thing that was like, "My life with Hazel Scott," and he was very handsome. Um, so they had this, like, I think of them as like a Beyonce and Jay-Z, you know, even though he was a political figure, they would, mm -hmm. they were very active in civil, you know, I don't think it was called civil rights yet, but they were doing their own sort of civil rights actions together. They would often use her platform and leverage mm -hmm. that. And she would try to get booked in places that didn't book black people, knowing that she would get rejected and that then she could tell the press. And, right. you know, she wouldn't play segregated venues in the South. She walked out of a few concert engagements because she walked in, saw it was segregated and was like, nope, walk back out. Um, which meant she was in breach Good of her, for contract, her you know, and had to pay money. But she was like, I don't care and made huge headlines this way. So this is this was what, you know, this was her leading into her TV career. But um, in 1950, this Dumont network, which was a fourth network that is sort of forgotten now because it ended by the end of the 50s. But um, they were really they, just like any upstart network, right? If you remember when Fox started or the WB started, it was very similar. They want to make waves. 
and they're willing to take bigger chances. And so they hired Hazel Scott, who was incredibly famous and glamorous, but also, you know, a little controversial. She's black. Um, there's a number of things, you know, black in a still Jim Crow era. Um, but they took a chance on her because she was so incredible. She's another one. If you look her up and see her, she had this way of she would just look at the camera and say like, hello, I'm Hazel Scott. And it's like, whoa. It's like, <laughs> yes, you are. She doesn't have yes. to do anything else. You just are on a whole journey already. Um, the camera loves her, as they say. And she had a variety show on the Dumont Network that started local in New York City. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. One day a week, then they were like, it's doing so well, let's add a day. It's doing so well, let's add a day. So she's up several days a week and eventually went national because it was just, everybody loved it. It was getting incredible reviews. All the reviews were saying, you know, she should be on television more. We need more of her. And um, was really, really doing well until she was blacklisted in 1950. And Toward the end of, she starts off the year like it's the best year of her life. And she even, her son told me her son is still alive and he had been on the set with her sometimes, which was incredible. Wow. And yeah, he's, I mean, and he's also just an amazing man and himself. It's really great. Um, so he told me about visiting her on the set, but also told me that she had told him several times that this was her favorite job, or at least, you know, up there, because it allowed her to be in New York City, which is where she lived. And she had her son, they called him Skipper. He is Adam Clayton Powell III, but they called him Skipper. He could, she could be at home with him when he was a little kid. She could be at home for dinner. And just, she had it, it was like this perfect little moment just briefly where she had this beautiful job in the city, still had the freedom to go do other things, you know, do a concert or whatever, an appearance at a club and just loved it. And then she got blacklisted and basically run out of the television business and with it a lot, you know, was, was kind of a liability for her going forward in her career period. Uh, she was still able, she was actually doing pretty well on the road, but it wasn't something she wanted to do as much. She had really loved that she didn't have to go on the road when she had this TV show. And I think a lot about how much it would have helped to preserve and, and increase her legacy if, this show, which was doing so well otherwise, could have gone on. And then, you know, 1950 TV is not anywhere near its peak yet. It's still in its infancy. And, you know, most people at that time didn't have TVs. They were really expensive. If you wanted to see TV, you'd go to the one guy's house in town who had it. Or, window. Right. And so 
if she had been allowed to stay on and ride that wave right into when it was when TV became really, really powerful and really, really national, it could have made a huge difference. And we could all know her, her name now. And instead, he ends up divorcing her husband, moving to Paris, where, you know, she didn't have to deal with this blacklist nonsense and she could be with other expats and it was much more welcoming to black people as well. And so she had like, you know, she ended up having a pretty nice little life for a while in Paris. Um, her son told me stories that weren't in the book because it wasn't the same time span, but he told me about like John Lennon came over and cooked pasta or something. I oh my remember. God. Are you kidding? But yeah, I mean, she knew people, you know, James Baldwin, she knew, you know, everybody knew who she was. But because she kind of exited both at the peak of her career and, you know, got kicked off TV and all this other stuff, um, by the time she came back, she still had a very nice life and played clubs and it was great. But I think really very similar to Gertrude Berg, whose TV husband, Philip Loeb, got blacklisted in the uh-huh. same He was on the same list. Um, and that pulled the show off the air for a number of years. I think both of those women really lost momentum to just dealing with that nonsense and never fully recovered. And so Lucy swoops in in 52, actually is literally on the same night the Goldbergs was supposed to be on, on the Mm. same network. They were supposed to be paired together and be like the first must-see TV lineup. And instead, Goldbergs gets kicked off the air because of the blacklist. Lucy swoops in, is an immediate sensation, and never looks back. So... You can see how things could have gone differently. No wow. doubt. It was interesting how we're almost repeating history sometimes. Always, always. <laughs> when when I read in your book about the the three religions became like Judaism was kind of new and it was with Catholicism and pro, pro, I can't I can't pronounce Protestantism. Yes, yeah. thank you. And people had to get used to to this now. And now we, we've progressed so far. It's accepted, but now there's there's new things to be progressive about that people are fighting and pushing back on. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, I, I just realized. Wait, I'm going. I'm about to get into a political rant. I'll shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, where, where's where, where's John Pulveromo? I know it's very true, and um, yeah, I mean it's a huge part of Gertrude's work is being Jewish. And it's really about, her show was about a specifically Jewish family living in a Bronx tenement when Mm -hmm. it starts. And they really, they had Passover episodes. We saw them have Seder. They, you know, there was, it it was explicitly Jewish in a way. We really have barely seen until fairly recently on television again. I mean, for decades, you either, you had no Jewish, very few or no Jewish characters. The next one is the next main Jewish character on television after Gertrude isn't until the 70s. Um, and even then, you know. Wait, it, who was it? It's Bridget Loves Bernie. Bridget Loves Bernie. It's a one season show that was a, about, it was explicitly about a an interfaith marriage. You mentioned that in the book, don't Catholic, you? Yeah, Catholic woman yeah. in a, Catholic, am I getting this right? Catholic woman and Jewish man. It's Meredith Baxter and David Burney who did get married in real life. Um, Meredith Baxter from Family Ties. Yeah, Family Ties yeah, yeah, yeah. and Lifetime. Yeah. Every Lifetime movie yeah. for a while. So <laughs> it really, and that's only one season. And like, you know, it's it's a struggle constantly through the decades to even portray any Jewish characters. I mean, the, there's a famous 
thing about Seinfeld where the executives who were Jewish said, this is too Jewish and too New York to succeed. And obviously it wasn't, but you know, this has been a common refrain throughout TV history is that it's, it's been really hard to really portray Jewish characters as actually Jewish, you know, you'd have coded without, without going as a, at a stereotype, right? Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and often, growing up Jewish, there are stereotypes in place for a reason. Some in some Jewish aspects. I, I mean, I have a big family. I get it. Yeah, it have it's true, but it really has been this constant kind of like refrain throughout history until recently. So, and most it's it's crazy because most you know TV writers, especially, have been Jewish. Not most, but a lot of TV writers have been Jewish and not able to portray their families the way they saw them, you know, they couldn't use right. that. And so, you know, Amy Sherman Palladino didn't do that until recently, for instance, with Mrs. Maisel, which is clearly about a Jewish family, but that's a very recent development. I just, I, I got told by so many people, oh, you're a comedian, you need to watch this show. So it was forced upon me and it annoyed me because that doesn't happen. You can't go up on stage and make up your material and become an overnight sensation like that. It just doesn't happen. Maybe that maybe happens. if you're really pretty like that. Maybe maybe that. Is that. <laughs> I mean that that's how it worked for me, Jason. Uh, I... <laughs> Let me brag about Justin for one moment because <laughs> oh, no. an opera singer. He fronts a Queen tribute band and can sing Freddie Mercury like nobody's business. He's... That's so cool. I, I've I've had an interesting interesting career. That's that's and I'll just leave it at that. That's but, great. Uh, but yeah, so uh, af after uh, my opera career kind of ending uh, right as it was beginning, I kind of sat down and had to uh, rethink about what it is that I love so much about what it is that I do as an artist. And I kind of uh, came to the realization, I love the stories, you know, and not just of opera. You know, of course, I listened to all sorts of music. My parents were children of the 70s. My father was Puerto Rican. My mother was Pennsylvania, Dutch, and Lithuanian, which makes me confused. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I so I had such a wide variety in my, my household. But again, you know, it was Spanish. It was German. It was English. It was pop. It was rock. It was salsa. It was classical and i realized that sure there there's so many differences but at the same time there's so much similarity they're all just telling their story and that's what i love about music and so the fact you know that sadly opera uh, was no longer an avenue for me but it allowed me to realize that music was the avenue and so now i do a show where i celebrate the music of the american songbook the, the the broadway songbook and you know the songs of the old country and the classical repertoire where i kind of try to show that there is a common thread in the storytelling here and that we are all welcome to the same table um and it's a it's a lot of fun and uh the, the killer queen thing uh, uh if you folks at home feel free to look up kq experience uh that's our website that's our instagram handle that's our facebook this is my fault um, i opened the door it is you um, did you son of a um that, that, no, no no now to you. now now it's the justin show that's what you get okay so <laughs> okay no no it's not no this is this is what happens when i'm the producer too i had another question for jennifer yes please take it away i was really intrigued on how you talk to people who knew gertrude berg I like how did I understand you probably came up from doing Mary Tyler Moore and 
these other books. You probably have heard of these people through your conversations and your years of experience. But how did you get in touch with her grandchildren and these Just people? journalism, baby. Um, yeah, I mean, and this is what I, you know. It's I actually did a lot more uh, interview research for my other books. It was those were so much more interview heavy because most of the people are alive. Um, but all three of my four women are no longer with us. So it was largely archival. So luckily a lot of them have archives, um, which are incredible by the way. Like you get to read through people's personal letters from the time. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. Like I loved it so much. It's so much fun. So I guess, yeah, three of the four. So the three who are no longer with us all had some kind of archive. Gertrude has an archive at Syracuse. Erna has an archive in Wisconsin and um, Hazel's son was kind enough to, he had all of her stuff and was- What is he doing? Is he he in entertainment? No, I mean, sort of, he's in communications. He works at, he's a, he works at USC. He works for, I should say, USC and their communications program, um, which is really cool. So- That's great. Yeah, so it was, was, that one was amazing because it's like, I actually got to talk to her son who was literally there. I mean, there was a point at which I, I emailed him and just said like, I'm writing a scene, I need a detail, like what kind of stuff would you guys eat for dinner? And you know, he was able to tell me, which is really cool. And um, was able to tell me like what his experience was going to the set, that sort of thing. But sadly with Gertrude, really most people who worked on the show, worked with her, any of those things, very few people, I guess none really are around anymore. So um, I did find her grandchildren and they were very kind and uh, just were super generous. And I still think, you know, it's like, you can tell, you know, that's still important. Like, I know they weren't there to see the show and that's too bad. They They probably heard the stories growing up. But they heard stories growing up and they were able to tell me at least what the experience of knowing her was like. And, you know, even just, it was fun to even talk to them about it. I was like, did you understand? You know, cause they were, they were still kids even when she died. maybe like the oldest was in their teens and the youngest was still a kid. So I said like, you know, did you know, cause she died pretty early. She died at the end of the sixties. She had a lot of health problems. So um, they say she died of overwork, which I believe. <laughs> but um, she she had two plays, two Broadway plays in the works when she, and that were like being advertised and tickets were being sold already when she died. So that just tells you what her work ethic was like. But it was fun to even just talk to them about like, what was it like to know her? And, you know, they remember going across the country and visiting her in the 60s. She had um, she had a brief sitcom revival. She tried to have another sitcom called Mrs. She Goes to College. You can guess the premise. <laughs> um, did not work as well, but she did win another Emmy for it. It just wasn't as popular and it didn't stay on as long. But um, they remember traveling across the country by train to visit her at her rented L.A. house and swimming in the pool and going to the set and remember going to see her on Broadway, which she did after the Goldbergs was over. She won a Tony for her work on Broadway. And they I said, you know, did they, did you understand who she was when you were a kid? And they were like, we understood she was somebody, basically. You know, <laughs> we understood that when we went to certain restaurants, everybody was on high alert and making sure she got everything she wanted. And we, you know, they could remember stuff like that. They kind of, they saw her on Broadway. So they were like, she must be a big deal. And then this is a funny, like the last thing is that she, 
she did the series of SOS pads commercials in mm. the 60s where she kind of, re, you know, she was revisiting. You can imagine this now being somebody like Florence Henderson doing the brain, you know, doing Carol Brady yeah. in, a, in a ad campaign or something. So, you know, she kind of played on that people's nostalgia and she had a one of TV's first catchphrases was that she'd lean on her apartment window and yell, Yoo-hoo, Mrs. Bloom, or whoever, one of the mm -hmm. neighbors would come and chat. And so she did a little Yoo-hoo bit in these SOS pad commercials. And so they said, we just thought she was the lady from the SOS pad commercials. And that was what all of our <laughs> friends knew her as. And they had one, the granddaughter had one friend who's whose dad was just like really knew who Gertrude was and couldn't stop talking. Like he'd always be like, no, 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 her grandmother's really, really famous. But that was her only experience of her grandmother being famous was other people telling her her grandmother was really, really famous. So it was just it was a fun perspective. And they also just could talk about the experience of her as a person and also, you know, definitely sure. stories passed down and what did they think about the blacklist in the family? Did they ever talk about it? Which the answer was no, you didn't talk about that. To me, that's very telling. Mm -hmm. Just something like, I have stories in my family too, where it's like, oh no, we don't do that one. And that was what they said. I said, what did she think about, you know, her colleague, Philip Loeb, being blacklisted? He eventually, it's one of the saddest stories in the blacklist. He ends up committing suicide a few years after he, he ends up not being able to be on the show because he was out of money and can't get work and it's like widely known as the blacklist suicide he took a bunch of pills in a hotel in new york city and i asked them like you know do you know what she thought about that and they just said like we did not talk about it that's just mm -hmm. and i was like that's how my family i think would be too so i really i relate to that and i think you know she really wanted to have a positive outlook and you know put on a brave face and that was how she coped now, if you don't mind, <laughs> we'll pick it up a bit. I I, I want to talk about you for a moment because you, okay. you're you're kind of living your dream job. Like I so admire that. So, but for me, like, and being a nonfiction writer, getting to write about what you love for a living is is the freaking dream. Yeah. Sarah Val, Mary Roach. I love nonfiction writers who are, and now Jennifer Armstrong. Like, who are just, you write like textbooks should be written, like humorous, full of anecdotes. Thank you. And you're, you're laughing and learning at the same time. Thank you. That's I, really I, nice. I, I agree when, you know, and I, I sadly did not get a chance to like get too far into the, into the book, but it felt so, and again, the, the books that always bring me in are the ones that almost come off conversational. And, you know, it's funny because talking to you, I, I, felt this same sort of, uh, you know, rapport by reading your writing. And I was like, that's so nice. this, this, I mean, that's, and I think that that's what makes uh, writing exciting is when it's not so professorial or, right. you know, and, and not so academic talking down to you, but you've been invited to the conversation. So, uh, you know, check out her other books also, folks that are watching because. Yeah, my I mean, introduction to you was Seinfeld as a gift and I just loved it. Thank you. You get to talk to some really interesting people in your line of work. I do. Like you said, it's just, I mean, it's, it, you have to always remind yourself because there are always days when you forget. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's really like, I, how could you possibly, when people are like, oh, do you, what do you do? Do you like that? I'm like, no, it sucks. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I mean, how, 
how could you not? And why would you choose this if you didn't like it? Um, right? Really? Did you get to meet Betty? I have talked to Betty before. I didn't meet her physically. Um, I talked to her on the phone uh, when I was researching the Mary Tyler Moore show book. Um, and she is everything you want her to be. That's the good news. That's great <laughs> so to hear. Imagine if I was like, let's just move on. Let's just let's <laughs> talk to like, No, don't say. <laughs> um, yeah, she is, she is really, she's so delightful. And like, you know, even when she doesn't remember things, she's still like, she's like, oh, like I'd ask her so She'd be like, honey, that was the 70s. I don't know. Um, yeah, she's, <laughs> she was really. And she's so real. Everything I've ever, you know, I've really, really never heard a bad thing. And you guys know how this is in this business is sometimes there'd be people who are like the public thing's one thing. And then people are like, actually, um, she really seems to be the real deal and is just a treasure. We all know this. She's a national treasure. And um, but really like fun to talk to in that sense of like, like I said, even when she's not telling you something, she's still just so delightful and funny and has these does is a great storyteller. Um, yeah, she's just, and I really wanted with my take on her in this book, like, I feel like I wanted to kind of brag about her in a way she could brag about herself is the best way I can explain it. Like and she you did. You pulled totally it go out there and be like, I was a badass and the, you know, but I wanted people to understand she isn't just, I mean, it, and it's cool. Like even if all her career was, was golden girls and on, that would be an amazing career. But I really wanted people to know what a force she has been. And you can see the way she she made decisions back then. She's so young and it's so early in the business and yet she makes these really smart decisions. She's always the producer on her shows. She makes decisions for them. She knows what she wants. Um, she just is really, she's always sort of pretending to be just sweet Betty, but she is, she's a master of what she does. And I, I think she's just brilliant. Absolutely. You nailed it. You just totally nailed it. Now you, you've done a book on three legendary shows and now a history of women in television. Where could you go from here? Like, great question. Any idea? Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Accepting requests. Um, no, we're still, um, we're still working on that. That's always, it's always a real process. Um, and I have to remind myself every time cause it's, it's a little frustrating, but it, it's like to, for something to be a book, it needs to be really big and really good because you could be, I mean, I'm oh, so yeah. about Seinfeldia now and it's like, that's been four years. So it better be something that you might want to be talking about in four years. You know what I mean? In addition to just really holding up to a book treatment and being reviewed and all of that stuff. And of course my publisher and my agent all have to agree in addition to me. So I always have what I think are great ideas. And then they're like, let me tell you why that's not going to work. And that's how that goes. So. <laughs> So, okay, so, okay, here's here's my pitch. Okay, uh -huh. a book on television shows that crossed the pond. So yeah. shows like Three's Company, The Office, Absolutely. you know, that originally were you know from England or from right. Europe, that then came to America, that had a whole new life and excitement. Now that they're uh, American shows, right? All in the Family was that yeah. way. There's a lot that like people always don't always know. I forgot too. All in the Family was yeah. Was till death us do part. Fun trivia fact, win your pub trivia with that one. <laughs> Don't say till, till death do us part. It's till death us do part. Till death us do part. Yes. All right. There you go. Thanks for that beer. That free <laughs> beer. You just got me. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's, um, I mean, and that doesn't happen anymore because now we just watch the British shows instead of bringing them over. So right. I, I wish I, I'm glad. I read, I saw an interview today. That's they were talking about the young ones today. Remember the young ones? Mm-hmm. Rick Mayall was a comedy god to me, and I was so heartbroken when he died. And they were saying in this interview they should bring it to America, and I said no in my head because they couldn't yeah. hear me on YouTube. But I, I thought that would just be a, a cardinal sin if they did anything like that. You can't replicate a show like that. And the British exactly. office was so I, I laughed so hard I cried the first good. time I watched it. Did you, really you saw good. it right? It yeah, is. Uh, you can't really compare good. that one to the American one. It's just like apples and oranges. American one's great too, but you know it is. But- well, that's the thing that I, I loved. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, and and Nani Tessie, if you're watching, if you can remind me what the name of the podcast is, but Jenna Fisher, who played mm-hmm. um, Pam, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, Angela, whose character was also named Angela, uh, they actually are very good friends, and they have a podcast together called, I think oh, it's yeah, called Angela Office Girls. Easy. Yep, yep. And one of the things that they talked about- Office Ladies. Uh, yeah, office ladies. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. And I didn't mean to be so condescending and call them girls. Um, <laughs> but uh, what what I loved is one of the early things that they talked about was them all discussing with Ricky Gervais about um, how you know why they had to change certain things and about how in the UK David right. Brent could be so much an idiot. Because that is just how it is in England. You can be totally incompetent. But he got fired. He, at the end of the series, he got fired. The, that was but here's, they did it from a realistic angle. Nobody would last that but, long. But here's the thing. No one in America would make it to manager of the, of the regional uh, you know, distribution in America and be that much of an idiot. That's, and that's the thing. You know, nobody would. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen would would read you know get to that level nobody would would uh you know uh would would um oh my goodness the words i taught you your words i'm trying it sounds like uh nobody would uh would acquire another you know uh branch the way that he did being so consistently incompetent and that was why michael scott had to be so different and so 
you know, absurd in a different way than David Brent was and why there could be similarities. But after the first season and even in the middle of the first season, you really see them kind of derail from the David Brent image. You know, Michael Scott is, isn't the slicked hair and the, you know, kind of, you know, overly confident at times. He was confident in such a different way. But I mean, that's that's I think really also the interesting thing about the shows that come from England to America. It's like what what is kind of the universal language and what is the thing that has to change in order for it to be palatable to an American um, to an American audience. Right. And I think we see more of those differences now in the later shows. Um, I mean, when you you know see like and I. Was it called Three is Company in in the UK? I don't, I don't know. remember. But uh, I mean, like even there, like even the uh, the intro is almost a shot for shot the same. Right. You know, like when those you, sort of. When you've done, I'm sorry. When you've done a Q and A in like a library or something for a book or a reading, does that, do anybody's questions take that long? Where you're like, um, <laughs> where they're they're trying to fight for the microphone. <laughs> It's a podcast. I'm, I'm just kidding, Justin. I'm teasing. I love you. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things, Jason. I try to be thoughtful and, and you know, caring about what we talk about. And he's like, I'm he just won't shut the fuck death. up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know I love you. Uh-huh. Um, Nick said, I thought Norman Mailer created all in the family. He, he probably... Norman Mailer? Norman... Clear, clear. <laughs> clear. No, I really like, want to watch. That's like a fun game. <laughs> if it was like, what if Jack Kerouac made Three's Company? <laughs> Improv game. There you go. Oh my god, that would be brilliant. <laughs> the the scripts would be written on six foot long pages, like he wrote uh, on you know on the road. <laughs> Hemingway like, does Grey's Anatomy. You know, <laughs> 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 it would be much shorter. I I would pay to see uh, Kerouac Three's Company. I would so watch an improv group for that. Oh my god, Jennifer, have you ever done any acting at all? I have not. I'm a terrible actress. I'm I I can speak, but I'm a terrible actress. Well, you're a great writer, and that's what matters. Hey, that's all. That's why I write exactly. That's you know we really writers really like the whole you know you're by yourself for months and months and months just sitting at your little keyboard and we're in control of everything. We like that. Improv scares the crap out of me. Like, I cannot believe people do that. That's like my worst nightmare. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're doing standup, it helps to take improv classes. I could see that. And, and I'm, I'm so, it's so impressive to me that people do either of those things. Cause it's just about being in the moment and saying yes. And that's oh, it. It's just it sounds terrible. Cause because I'm a writer, it sounds terrifying. It's like, I spend a year or more, like crafting this thing that's going to well, go tell, you, you write about things you're passionate about. I okay. can tell just by the way you're talking about it right mm -hmm. now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I mean, like I said, I really don't recommend people write books about things they're not passionate about because it sounds kind of weird, but I guess, you know, it could happen for a number of reasons. And maybe people, you know, people often come to me for advice and they say like, should I write about this? Is, does the market, you know, is this what people are buying right now? Like that kind of thing. And you can, you have to do some of that if you want to survive and make a living. But also, you really it has to be something you're into because oh my god, it's you're in it so much. It's like all you think about for like I said, at least a year of research, which you have to be driven by passion to just do that research. And then you have to write the thing, 
and then you have to go out and talk about it like this. And if you if you're lucky, people want to talk about it, you know, for a while. Right. You don't want to just like a week or nobody's asking you for interviews. So you really, I mean, you have to be excited about it because you're going to keep talking about it over and over again if you're lucky. And, you know, so I really recommend that you pick things that you're excited about. And No question. Is it is it possible for someone who's not an actor or comedian um, but hasn't done journalism either, do you think it's it's – a lot more difficult for someone like that to get a book published? Probably, but there would be a number of things you could do to mitigate that experience. Um, you couldn't just like, woo, congrats world, I'm ready to publish. Um, right. But I mean, did the journalism, being a journalism, I'm sorry. Journalism is something you can learn. Um, you know, I went to journalism school, but there are people who don't and you learn by doing. So you can start trying to do journalism in some way on your own, you know, get assignments, little tiny places, do have a blog, have a podcast, all of those things can start that. Um, you know, you can then build up if you're like out there writing about something, talking about something, that's what helps you build up what they call a platform um, in the in the publishing business. They want to have they're like if you like if you want if you write a nonfiction book, you write a proposal, and part of the proposal is here's what the book will be. But a lot of the proposal is like, who are you? Like why should you like why should we listen to you when you write this book? Because you can't just be any you know anybody off the street being this expert in this thing enough to write a book and then go out and promote it. So you really just have to build that part up as you approach your topic as well. Um, so, you know, that's, in fact, I can do a commercial. Um, I actually did a little Skillshare class about, um, how to turn your fandom into a writing career where I talk about this stuff to some extent and how you can kind of essentially start podcasts, start blogs, start writing out there, you know, writing journalistic stuff about your favorite things. And you really can eventually, I call them professional fans. There really are people out there who have built platforms this way. Um, I know them in all of my, you know, any of the books that I've written about, it's like, I know all the Seinfeld pro fans. I know all this, the Sex and the City ones, you know, there's a great podcast called the Bradshaw Boys. That's about a couple of guys, straight guys watching Sex and the City all the way through for the first time. They've never seen it. And they do like each, each episode they would watch, they just finished the entire series, but they would watch an episode and then go and record their podcast and talk about it. I was a guest a few times and it's really fun. And a lot of, they have a huge following. They've had live shows. A lot of people know them. If they wanted to write a book now, I could see that happening, you know? And those are, those are comedy guys too. So um, I can see, you know. Great, great idea. Yeah, right? And there's, I mean, if you start looking, you'll see that there's a ton of these kinds of things out there and it's just a matter of marrying your interests with the thing. It's like, there's another one that's called every outfit on sex in the city, which is a, an Instagram feed, not, a, not a podcast, but it's these two women who are in fashion and it, it's what it sounds like. It's like they would, they post, you know, photos of outfits on sex in the city and have little commentary about them and became incredibly popular. So, and they did have a book that came out. So there you have it. 
that probably wouldn't appeal to a horror nerd like me, but no, they've no, got a niche audience. Cool. I'm just kidding. They, <laughs> See, that, that's, that's why, Jason, we're going to do our podcast on uh, the first series and for the first book will be on the films of the Coen brothers. That's actually the And then the second series will be all of the films of uh, Christopher Guest. Of his, uh, that's also a really good idea. Christopher Guest movies. Oh, yeah. So do, yeah, and I and I know you and I both are interested at uh, you know of, uh, on both of those topics. That would be I think a lot of fun for us to watch the movies, do some research, do a conversation where we recap and tell people what the movies are about and what yeah. our thoughts are, and that could be a lot of fun. What are your thoughts on that, Jennifer? Do you think we got something? Absolutely. I mean, people love this stuff. It's it's a huge market out there. Um, if you look at podcast, there's podcasts about you know. Any fandom has got a couple of podcasts, and if you can make yourself one of them in any way, you know, if you can either be the first to do it or a specific, like I said, I feel like this, every outfit on Sex and the City is a great example of like they took one slice. That's, That's such a good idea. And then made it theirs. And if you actually look at that, um, you don't have to be a fashion person. If you look at the every outfit, one, it's actually very funny. Like they do some other stuff that's super interesting. Their their commentary itself is actually really funny. And a lot of their stuff is about like, you know, how, what, like thinking about Sex and the City through what a modern lens, through a 2021 lens, as opposed to just here's this outfit and here's what it is. You know, like they, they're very, they have a lot of personality. I remember when Sex and the City first came out and people tried to sell me on it to watch it. They would say, Oh, you would love it. It's like girls who act like guys. Yep. It's, but there, it's, that's so such a 90s way of thinking to anyone. Really, it really is. Though, if I were on my Sex and the City book tour right now and I was talking to you about that, I would say that is because Sex and the City changed the game. That is why yeah. that seems, you know, it, it was such a game changer in terms of how women talked about sex in their own lives. I mean, we really were all very influenced by it. It's like suddenly brunch became the place you talk about sex. There's no reason that that should be true, but that's what brunch with the girls sort of became. And it's like, you got to get the Cosmo and then you got to talk dirty. And then, you know, like it really changed so much about the conversation around that, that it becomes its own, like it eats itself. You know what I mean? It's like, it becomes irrelevant because it is so groundbreaking in and of itself that it seems dated now. Yeah, exactly. Have you have you thought about doing a documentary? Because I, I could see you as a really good documentary filmmaker. I have never I have never thought about that, but certainly I think some of these topics lend themselves to that. And um, I just watched this documentary series on Netflix. Totally recommend this. It's not like super happy all the time, but called Five Came Back. It's a couple episodes, and it's based on a book called Five Came Back by a, an ex-colleague of mine named Mark Harris, who's a big, like he's an, in, such an influence on my career. And my point is, it was it's this great book and documentary about five Hollywood directors in the 40s who actually were commissioned to go to World War II yes. and propaganda movies. And they're big, like Frank Capra is one of them. These are all uh-huh. known names. And I had no idea, like I had no idea any of this went on. And it was like this documentary, I'm telling, it's incredible. The book is too, of course, but there was something really great about having it in documentary form, which I'm sure they realized because they could show the clips from the movies and you could actually see the, some of the stuff they had made. And that was like the 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. First time I was ever like, my God, this is such a good, like that. And Mark, um, who wrote the book, did write the script for the documentary and was very heavily involved. I mean, it's also like Steven Spielberg as a talking head, which is cool. Um, and as a yeah, that's like, huge. Great, that's we're awesome. going to be good at that, I guess. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, like that was that was it's funny that you mentioned that just because that was the first time I really I always look at Mark's books as kind of models for my own career, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And especially something like when women invented television, that sort of thing, I can see, you know, even Seinfeld, if anyone out there would like to option it and hire me to make that documentary, that would be great. <laughs> How great would that be? You'd definitely be interviewed in it, I'm sure. I, I have been interviewed a few times about Seinfeld oh. or a number of documentaries, it's true. <laughs> okay, um, we're gonna end soon, but is anyone, I want to ask anybody watching if they have another question they want to put up in the comments before we say goodbye to our lovely guests. And well, I want to ask you because I want to show off, I want to show off my friend Justin here. Do you have a favorite Queen song? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm going to think of only cliches right now. That's fine. That's all I can. Don't stop me now is a favorite. No, Hemian Rhapsody, don't stop me now. Um, <laughs> What are the other ones? There's got to be better ones. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good ones. I Justin, mean, if, I, like if I put you on the spot, one. Justin, to um, to give us a little musical interlude. Don't stop me now. I was just listening to that recently. That's a good one. Let me uh, let me pull up. I'll, I'll do the beginning of that one. That, no, I can't. Actually... I can't stop thinking of Shaun of the Dead whenever As... I hear that clip. <laughs> That's a really good point. Because I have to remind, I have to remind the world that I'm not a piano player. So uh, so there's that. So let's uh. Yeah, let's uh, and make sure that I have uh, oh, not those sounds on. Hang on, because again, I was trying to do uh, our organ sound earlier, and uh, that was not organ. good for it. No. Okay. Yes, I said organ, you nine-year-old. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> a little little effect on the voice, and uh, tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive And the world Turn it inside out Yeah And floating around In ecstasy So don't stop me now Don't stop me Cause I'm having a good time Having a good time that's where I'll stop. Justin, I love you. Oh man. Oh, I love you. That, that is that is difficult to get. Not everybody has that. Um, oh. That was really great. Oh. Wait, <laughs> your your wife said F Queen Singo Solo Mio. And for something totally different. So <laughs> Oh, 
Nice. Holy crap. And now for something completely different. So... Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for spending time with us. Thank Jason, it, yes. is, is it okay if I do, do all of our commercials before we sign off? Sure. Then we'll plug her book one last time. Because I, I, I know you hate it when I speak for longer than 30 seconds. I love seconds, your voice. So. I love everything about you. <laughs> so, so again, my friends, thank you so much for spending time with us. And uh, all of the places where you should be hanging out. We are on Twitch. So please make sure that you click follow if you haven't done so already. Uh, and if you can... Subscribe. You can subscribe at three levels. I believe it's five dollars, ten dollars, and twelve dollars. You get different emotes at different at each level uh, that you can use uh, throughout your conversations on Twitch. So uh, please consider that. Again, all of the proceeds go right back to making this show even better for you. Uh, if you would like to know what we are doing before we do it, make sure that you go over to Facebook and like our page, Facebook.com/slash Jason and Justin. That is where we disseminate all. All of our information. You'll also see some wonderful videos made by Jason over here. He always makes sure to pepper some in through the week. And uh, so if you need a laugh, pop on over to facebook.com slash Jason and Justin. You can also find some of our finished videos at youtube.com slash user slash super jpo 711. You could also just go to YouTube and type in the search bar. Hi, I'm Jason. And uh, if you do not, uh, if you're not in a place where you would like to subscribe on Twitch right now, you can always visit our digital tip jar. You can do that two ways. You can go under our about section on our page, and there is a donate button right there that'll take you right to where you need to go. Or you can go to Venmo and just search at symbol Jason Pollock 2. And again, all of those proceeds go back to making this show a little bit better uh, with every donation. So thank you so much for that. I also would like to do a special thank you to drinks jokes and storytelling our parent channel right now on twitch bringing comedy to twitch uh follow today at drinks jokes and storytelling and uh as you can see below our uh our lineup for the week uh the beacon of insignificance on sundays jokes smokes and storytelling on mondays comedy therapy on tuesdays uh double header on wednesday with uh the channel's namesake drinks jokes and storytelling with mark riccadonna and richie byrne on wednesday evenings hi i'm jason with Jason Pollock, which you're watching right now. Uh, Behind the Bits on Thursday, and right after Behind the Bits, we have Dystopia Tonight with John Poveromo. And on Fridays, we have Main Street uh, earlier in the day, and I believe right after Main Street, we have the uh, Comedian's Round Table. Uh, we need to get a new image uh, with that included because it is a wonderful show and one that you do not want to miss. So be sure to follow Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling today, so that way you will not miss any of the hilarious, totally funny content that we are bringing to you. And that leads us to our uh, our wonderful guest. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Uh, I mean, just we had such a wonderful time and I'm realizing now that I have the wrong set of banners up. It was supposed to move so smoothly. Um, and yet... I, of course, make sure to mess it up somehow. But Jennifer Armstrong, thank you so much for being with us. If you would like to follow more of uh, what she's doing, past books that she's done, visit her website, www.jenniferkarmstrong.com. And uh, I don't know if uh, you fell in love with her like I have, but uh, follow her on Twitter, uh, run, do not walk, uh, at jmk 
Armstrong. And uh, again, we uh, we are here today. We were talking about her new book, when, uh, when Women Invented Television. Um, it is available for purchase March 23rd, uh, wherever you buy books. So be sure to uh, to make to save that on Amazon. Go to her website and it will lead you to where you can pre-order it. Um, and also buy her previous book, Seinfeldia, um, her book on Sex and the City, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, show. Uh, like I said, run, do not walk. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Thank you, Jennifer. You want to show some of our comments before we go? Uh, yes, I saw that we had some creep in at the last minute there. We have a um, watcher over in England, Lulu oh, Lounge. Oh, Lulu. So, sorry we missed the night you. There. I know. I know. Uh, well, uh, as, as soon as we are done uh, streaming, uh, this will become available for Twitch uh, for the next 14 days uh, for a rebroadcast. So feel free to watch at your leisure, Lulu. And uh, again, it's always great when you pop in. And uh, Bucket List, thank you so much. Again, this is uh, Tom Bannis. He's actually one of the other producers on Drinks, Jokes, and Storytelling, the channel. Um, uh, the guru that keeps us all honest. So thank you so much, not just for your support and your education, but again, you being here and enjoying the show. Uh, big Gay Nick, what can we say? You're big, you're gay, you're Nick. Um, the way he uh, was introduced to me was uh, th that when you would walk into his uh, his uh, um, his venue, uh, he would say, "Hi, I'm I'm Big Gay Nick. Call me that because my name's Nick." <laughs> 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 and that is when Big Gay Nick and I became uh, friends. Um, and uh, again, everyone, thank you so much, uh, Nanny Tessie. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. Great conversation. Angry Shih Tzu, that is the wonderful Mark Riccadonna, former writer for Saturday Night Live, among other things, uh, stopping in. So, uh, Mark, yeah, please go back. You want to watch this episode. Um, Jennifer was amazing. She truly was. Uh, just so knowledgeable about uh, all of this uh, all of this great history that, again, we should know. And I'm so glad that she brought it to light that now we will know it. And uh, I hope all these things that we talked about, of, <laughs> about it becoming a, a documentary, all, I hope it happens because, again, this is so important that we know because you just sc scratched the surface. You really showed yeah, exactly. us you showed us the, the Mount Rushmore of women in television. And well um, love and, that. I'm stealing that. Yeah, please do. Please <laughs> do. Um, <laughs> And uh, like and like I said, folks, run, do not walk. Um, if you enjoyed our conversation, you're going to love her book because it reads the same way. And um, it's just it's just been an amazing evening. So thank you all of you that have stopped in to say hello and spend a little bit of time with us. And Jason, I'm going to shut the fuck up and put you in the hot seat. You good? You sure? <laughs> and scene. Jennifer, I love you to death. Thank you. I, I hope you continue to write more books so I can continue to read and learn. I and, I and I will continue to follow you on your social media and support you. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here. And have a great night. Thank We're you. We're going to close, but you can hang out for a second after okay. the credits. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Justin. Good night.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.